0: Welcome to the Cara's Cares Digital Show, where we explore the cutting edge of wellness. I'm Kara Sundlin, thanks so much to the Center for Advanced Reproductive Services for sponsoring this episode. So how can you be an involved parent without smothering your child? That is quite the balancing act. Here to tell us all about helicopter parenting and how to keep yourself from becoming a helicopter parent is Dr. Laura Saunders from the Institute of Living. Welcome, Dr. Saunders. Hello, Kara. thank you for having me. Do you see a lot of helicopter parenting now? So, I
1: just I want to kind of define a little bit of helicopter parenting because you know, in the developmental stages of a child's life, when they're younger, you know, pre, you know, below age 5 and you know, certainly early elementary school, it generally works best to be fairly involved, right, to make sure your child's getting up, to make sure they're, you know, to lay out their clothes, they're having their breakfast, they have an after-school routine, you know. Early on, that is what we need to do to kind of manage and provide structure and provide support so that our children can be successful. Helicopter parenting comes in when that level of support and managing and, and kind of overprotecting continues on into high school and into college. Um, And college administrators, you know, have been talking about this for years now. Um, It's those parents who really continue to try to watch over their children from a distance, even as if they were, you know, still in elementary school and needed to provide for all their needs. So, so it's, you know, it's, it's a style difference. Um, but it is considered to be pretty overprotective and pretty um, enabling.
0: So a helicopter parent means you're hovering and you're doing it too much. What would be an example and why is that a bad thing? Some parents might be thinking, aren't I supposed to be involved?
1: So there's levels levels of involvement. So the, the example that I've been giving and why this sort of came, came to the forefront of my mind um, is I've shared that my daughter is a is a college freshman, and so I'm on the you know, the social media page. And the things that parents are posting about the level of detail detail that they're worried about. I mean the the college dorm room is too hot or too cold. You know, should I call the administration? or my child needs a prescription. How do they get it from the pharmacy? I mean, it's just a level of involvement that these kids should be figuring out on their own. If they're cold, they just tell them to put on a sweatshirt. You don't need to call the college administration and tell them to change the temperatures in the dorms. I mean, you know, so it's just a level of involvement that is just over the top and it's not allowing your young people to solve that problem themselves. If your child's too hot, or too cold in their dorm, then they need to come up with a way to fix that. They can advocate for themselves or they can put on a sweatshirt. If they need to get to the local pharmacy for a prescription, they walk there or take an Uber or take a bus. I mean, there's things that they can do. So there's a level of involvement that's not allowing for your young person's growth and development.
0: Yeah, yeah, so let's let's dive in there a little bit more. Like what is the danger to your kids of being a helicopter parent who's just too over-involved?
1: And again, for the teens and for the young adults, it inhibits their ability to solve the problem, right? If they need a prescription and the, and the prescriptions at the pharmacy, they need to think about what are the different ways I could get myself to that pharmacy. Or, you know, it leads to increased dependence because they're not solving problems themselves. And there are, you know, a myriad of props problems that come up in a given day in the life of a teen or a young adult. Um, It hinders their self-advocacy. So they're not going to go to a teacher in high school or a professor to advocate for themselves because they just assume that their parents will do it for them. Um, And it it really actually fosters a low sense of self-worth. If someone was hovering over you, even as an adult all the time, it would send the message that you must not be capable because someone always has to do things me. Um and it really can prevent the natural consequences that create so much learning for each of us.
0: Yeah, yeah. I and I think you know a lot of parents might be hearing this and thinking, gosh, when we were kids, we were just told come home when the lights are off, you know, or when the lights, come home when the lights are on, on the streets and we didn't have cell phones and our parents couldn't track us and like all these things. So it is different being a modern parent. I also think there's pressure now that it's considered a good thing to be involved. Well, did you help your child get into this college or that program or that club team or there's all this competition? Can you speak to a little bit about parents feeling like, Maybe they don't want to do the reverse and not be involved enough. So they're overdoing it.
1: Right. So and and I guess what I also want to sort of self-correct on is that I'm not trying to come off as being overly critical. Yeah. Right. As a general rule, parents do the best that they can. Yep. And very often parents are sometimes overcompensating or undercompensating for the way that they were raised. So sometimes it takes a a level of self-reflection to say, you know, I, you know, I loved that I would go out to the park. Um, I I had a park across the street from where, when I grew up, we would leave in the morning or right after school and we'd come back around dinner time and no one knew where I was. And that, you know, I loved that level of of freedom and so looking at your own sort of childhood and your own upbringing and saying hmm is that something i want for my child do i feel pressure from other parents because very often with our kids we feel like their behavior is a direct reflection on us as opposed to i can provide my child with support and structure and 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 good parenting but at the end of the day they need to make some of their own decisions and again I'm not I'm talking from a developmental framework. It's very different when you have a seven year old than when you have a 17 year old. Mm. Um, so it's really looking at that that way that you were raised what or that you're struggling with anxiety and looking to control things and like trying to control the life of your teen um, is is helps you better manage your anxiety. But really, is that in their best interest?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about maybe there's um some questions that you can check yourself with as a parent. I can say a typical thing. You might think, oh, everything's okay," And then you look and you realize, you look in the power school, and there's all these missing assignments and grades. And you're like, that's it. I'm going to sit there and do your homework with you. I know that's probably not the right thing to do. We're talking high school and college and that sort of thing. Maybe you need to help someone when they're in fifth or sixth grade. But um, assuming the child is older and you're like, oh, my gosh, how did it get this way? Or your immediate thing is maybe I'm going to blame myself and I I haven't set them up with enough structure. And maybe they need tutoring and maybe they need this. Uh, You know, what's the example of something healthy versus something helicopter? So.
1: You know, I think it really is looking at the the situation. So, in that situation or that example that you gave, you happen to check your child's you know power school, and they're missing several assignments from each of their classes. Um, so instead of like going in, hovering in, and you know calling the school or calling the guidance counselor and saying my child's struggling, um, what can we do? It's sitting down with your child and saying. I see that you are missing A, B, and C, or that you're, you know, this one particular class you're really struggling with. What is the issue? And what do you, my, my dear child, think you can do to to fix this? And then, you know, you can offer some suggestions. I need, I think you need to talk to the teacher, I think you need to talk to the guidance counselor. So you're initially encouraging your child to solve the problem. You can identify the problem as the parent then you can encourage them to solve it. If they cannot possibly come up with any solutions, you can offer one or two solutions, but then encourage them to step into it. So instead of solving the entire problem yourself as the parent, engage in the activity of problem solving with them, and then give them that push to solve the problem. Unfortunately, the natural consequence of missing assignments causes you to get a a lesser grade and either that does or does not then motivate your child to say, Oh, I really didn't want to get that, that C minus in this class. I think I'm going to try a little harder, right? So it's that consequence. But if we're constantly kind of doing it for them, not with them, not supporting them to, to do the problem solving, but doing it for them, that's when it becomes problematic.
0: So we have to be comfortable to let our kids fail. And that's scary, I'm sure, for a lot of parents, I mean, for me included. It's
1: it's scary for all of us, right? Yeah. Because, and and I'm not talking about encouraging someone to jump off a cliff without a net, right? right? We're talking small experiences that that create some of the failure experiences, right? And tomorrow's actually the International Day of Failure, right, well, oh. <laughs> where people are encouraged to share and celebrate their failures. If you think back on your life, Kara, certainly when I think back on mine, I have really clear memories of where things went wrong, or I made a, a, an error in decision making. We're not talking about safety issues here. We're talking about I should have I should have done X, but I did Y, and now I see why I made that decision and why it just didn't help me. And then take that as a learning experience. If we don't allow our kids to make some some mistakes, and again, not safety issues, but some mistakes that's the only way that they're going to learn. And and that could be in a sports team. It could be in a club. It could be in a class. Um, It could be in managing their own time. And and parents know their kids. And if you know your child is particularly disorganized and they need additional support and they're willing to accept that support, there's no reason why you can't check in with the teacher or set up some tutoring, Um, but it's doing it for them and not allowing them some sense of agency in solving the problem where it becomes more problematic.
0: Yeah, so uh, this, I'm going to speak now to parents who maybe have kids with ADHD or they're already on a 504 plan and um, you know it, there's so much pressure out there when parents are encouraged to read certain books or do certain this that uh, oh you should have this homework center you should do this you should do that so i understand why parents sometimes think it's their fault you know though i didn't get them into this or i didn't do this or i didn't tell the teacher that this is his needs or or, or you know it can get, the lines can get blurred so do you need to support more with a kid um, who has those challenges, for instance, with ADHD, where a lot of organizational skills are delayed? So that's a great question.
1: Um, again, parents know their children and they know their vulnerabilities. And so, yes, if you have a child who has particular vulnerabil- vulnerabilities around anxiety or attentional issues or organizational issues uh, or le- you know, learning issues, there's nothing wrong with getting them the support or the, the accommodations that they need to be successful. But there's times where, you know, let the, let the accommodations or support stay at school and not take over home as well. Mm. That that's what school's there for. And let, let you at home create some of those experiences where your child can advocate for themselves or learn from a natural consequence. You know, if you're, child's really disorganized and they can't find any of their soccer stuff, they can't find their cleats and they can't find their shin guards and they can't find anything. Okay, well now we're going to be late for practice, right? It's that being late for practice and then having to walk onto the field late to practice and explain to the coach, I couldn't find my shin guards and my cleats. Then it's, then that learning experience of, let's have this little box right by the front door where you toss your cleats and your shin guards right when you get in after practice so that you have a spot right so but it's the experience of having to go up to the coach to say i forgot i'm sorry i'm late right that's where the learning takes place so i'm not saying create utter failures but allow some of these experiences and some of these more natural consequences and then so then when you come up with the solution Hmm, would it be helpful if we had a little box by the front door where you tossed your cleats and your your uh, shin guards? Okay, yes, that would be helpful. Great. Here's, I'll get the box and I'll put it there. So I'm not saying for parents to be completely disconnected, but to allow your children to engage in that problem solving.
0: Yes. Now, if you are that parent who has given the box and who has suggested all these, you also have the kids who just don't want to take help. They just are, okay, I got it, I I got it, I got it, and you know they don't got it. Do you just let them figure it out? (laughs) You have some kids who don't out. want help.
1: Because because it's hard to I mean it what ha, what that then happens is that's the classic power struggle, right? Yeah. Here I know how to help you. I don't really want your help. But yes, I know how to help you, but I don't want your help. That classic power struggle. I will tell you as a parent and as a psychologist, you cannot help someone that does not want help. Ah, so you can even you can come up with all the solutions in the world, but if that your child is not accepting those solutions, it's not really gonna matter because it's just gonna help make you wanna get more and more and more involved to solve the problem. And your child's just gonna pull away, away, away. And it, you know it's, it's that kind of that dance of if they don't wanna solve the problem, if they haven't had enough natural consequences where it's uncomfortable for them, they are not going to engage in a problem solving process
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and obviously, I, I want to clarify because um, you also, in a previous episode, talked about the five things we should do as parents um, from a child psychologist, and one of them is supervision so you know you 're not saying that when we, um, we do need to know where our kids are and what they 're doing. The question is, uh, and and if we find out they made a wrong choice, like they experimented with a drug or they drank underage or something, uh, this is a different level of find your own failure. Yeah, I mean, again,
1: if that's a if that's a that's a lapse in judgment right that's where you and you find this out that's where you step in you create a conversation how could you have done this different you know differently next time okay you were offered something you didn't know how to say no again that's the problem solving skills so i'm not saying you know so, uh say say hello to your child on Friday afternoon and then reacquaint yourself with them on Monday morning and you have no idea what's happened all weekend. Right. So it's it's having it's trying to find that in between. I think in a lot of these situations it's knowing your child and knowing your you know even when you have several children knowing which child needs you to step in just a little bit more and engage a little bit more problem solving with them and that's and that's really what I think is most helpful. It's not doing it for them. Yes, it's it's problem solving and coming up with ideas with them and then launching them to actually do it.
0: Yes, that makes sense. In fact, I can't think of the book, but I think it's a parenting book. A lot of us might be reading lots of parenting books. I'll I'll let you tell me if you think there are some that you have your parents read. But there's the analogy of that. Your kids are in the pool and you're off the side, and you're not supposed to get in the pool with them. You wait for them to swim to the edge, and you help them if they need. You might bring them out of the pool, then they go back, they get in the pool, and you observe, and you're just on the side of the pool, and that we're not supposed to be jumping in because they need to learn how to be in the pool. (laughs)
1: Right, not jumping in and rescuing them every time. Right. Again, if they're going under, metaphorically, we're going into to. get them because that's a safety issue but the struggle is part of the process the uh-huh. supervision is is keeping an eye on what's going on but and encouraging them um but if we constantly solve things for them we're really sending the message that they're not capable and that's not the message that we want to send in those situations yeah
0: so, you know, I think uh, you hit on that a lot of us might be um, parenting from a childhood wound. If you were someone who grew up with some childhood trauma like neglect, um, where your parents were not around or you are you know, maybe not their fault, but the parents were just uh, over busy or you felt alone a lot. You might then become that helicopter parent because you wanted that or you feel like being involved is love. Yeah, I do think it, it, it that. The role of being a parent
1: really requires you to be more self-reflective about what are the values that you grew up with, what are the values that you want to impart, what were the what were the things that happened in your, in your life, or the traditions, or the or the that you want to share with your kids, or you want to create for your kids, whether you lacked those things or you want to create those things. I mean, to be a, a good enough parent really requires some measure of self-reflection and trying to, like, step into things that can be, you know, create meaning, but not so much that you're really going to the other extreme from the way that you were raised.
0: Is helicopter parenting more of a new thing because of all the idea that parents do everything for us now or that it's so much matters, your child, you know, your child's not going to be successful unless you do A, B, or C? Like, did this happen when we were younger?
1: So, I mean, the the term helicopter parent actually came out in a book from Ganat in 1969 that's right so this is not a brand new phenomenon um but it really is about looking at the circumstances and i think there is a lot of pressure on parents for their ch- children to succeed whether that's in a sports or in a club or or in school um and and that it is okay that for the failure experiences, right? That I just can't emphasize that enough. That mm-hmm. the failure experiences really are where all the learning takes place. And again, I'm not talking about safety issues, but but the small fa- failure experiences is what creates the meaning and the learning. Um, but to give yourself as the parent to uh, to be off the hook and just say, you know, sometimes my child makes a poor decision, even if I have given them all the guidance I could possibly give them, and to make that kind of emotional boundary and separation.
0: Yeah. And we'll end on this, um, I encourage everyone to go back and watch the podcast or listen to the podcast that we did about the five parenting, uh, your top five things. But the positive reinforcement, we might have to bite our tongue when we see them failing or doing something like, that's not going to work. You just threw your stuff. Why did you come in? I mean, my son will do this, right? There's like a trail of clothes, even though there's a basket for them. And he's too tired to take them off. So the one goes in one room, one goes in this room. But whether than yelling about that all the time and you have a consequence that maybe is late to practice because he can't find stuff the next time that they pack their bag early or do whatever we should be looking for that like any kind of positive re- that's awesome and maybe some small rewards because I guess we learn by positives and rewards yes so
1: positive reinforcement is the most powerful way to create behavior change so it's not just all the consequences that we pile on and and you know, we could do a whole segment on how to give a compliment right so the way you give a compliment or the way you show your attention because i always say the two greatest gifts you give your children are time and attention the, and it's not it's a great job it's it's you threw your socks in the laundry basket now meanwhile they might not have thrown their pants and their shirt and other things right but it's not focusing on the negative it's wow i see i saw both your socks made it into the laundry basket <laughs> so it's giving very specific direct information about what you noticed and and as opposed to focusing on the negative like you never throw your things in the laundry basket as opposed to wow both your socks made it in the laundry basket that was terrific
0: yeah yeah hard to do when we're angry that they're not putting their stuff in yes, such a is. simple thing like a hamper but the science shows the positive reinforcement and the idea that you have also told us before the number one thing is grit and that uh, nope. growth mindset and grit is going to make your child successful more than anything else not their economics not their even fancy school they went to but do they have a growth mindset and grit and they're not going to get that if we're hovering all the time
1: they're not going to get that growth mindset and that grit and grit comes from like failure experiences and learning how to solve problems and and sort of getting through situations even if it's not the best way i mean that's where the best learning takes place
0: all right we all should probably listen to this a couple of times. So the next time you want to intervene, maybe you just go to your bedroom and listen to this. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> right, and it's learning, right? You know, I make mistakes when I'm like, oh, I could have done that differently. Okay, this is how I'm going to do it next time, right? It's, it is that concept of being the good enough parent. I'm going to self-correct, I'm going to be reflective. I'm going to see how my intervention actually made it worse for my child, not better. So how can I make changes in that? So right. it's not in being perfect, it's being in,
0: it, good enough, and in, in the self-correction. Right, even if we were a helicopter parent, we can now move to the side of the pool, because we've learned Take we only little... did that to be the best you could be, and now you realize it's not the right thing, you can, cha- you can change the course of the helicopter. <laughs> yes, we can. All right, Dr. Laura, thanks so much for being with us, as always. Thank you, Kara. And uh, I hope you found this information useful and helpful in your life. And you can follow me on social media at Kara Sumlin. I like to share this content there. We invite you to join the Kara's Cures Facebook group as well, where we post this. Have a great day, everyone, and be well.